and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jeff Wolf. So Jeff is better known as The Flexible on Instagram. He's a strength and conditioning coach from the USA where he is the founder of Strength Culture. He's renowned for his work on strength and flexibility and gaining both of those physiological variables at the same time. So who better today to discuss flexibility and strength training? So without further ado, it's time to welcome Jeff onto the show. So Jeff, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you. I appreciate the invite. I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thank you very much. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Of course. Uh, so my name's Jeffrey Wolf. I'm at The Flexible on Instagram. Um, I'm the creator of Strength Culture, which is an online training platform where, as it describes, I deliver online training programs, mentorship, education, uh, that kind of thing. I also own a facility in Clearwater, Florida that I just opened uh, in November of last year. So just about four months ago, three, four months ago. Um, and I'm in my specialization, I guess, is strength conditioning. And I also do a lot in with mobility and flexibility. Um, I've been in the industry now for a decade and I've probably had my hands in every aspect of fitness you could think of, um, from CrossFit and group classes, personal training, um, you know, pretty much everything to be honest with you. So if, if, if there's some sort of facet that exists in fitness, I've definitely had my hands in it. So that's what I've, that's how I am where I am now. Absolutely. Excellent. And that means of course you're the perfect person to, to get on to discuss, uh, flexibility, movement and, uh, strength and muscle at the same time. So can you give us a quick rundown then of why it's important to be mobile for health and performance? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the easiest way to, to answer this question is, is kind of define what mobility is, right? And, and mobility simply is just your ability to move. So, um, you know, obviously we're humans, you know, we, uh, we, we are living and our hearts beating and we should be moving every day, all, you know, most of the day. And it's just in general, our, our ability to move is our ability to navigate both our life and lifestyle. And then it, you know, it could arguably be increasingly more important, um, when you're a high performer, as we know that sports and athletics is, um, you know, and performance is very much based on, on how well you can move. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just simply, it's your ability to move, which, you know, is, is quite important. <laughs> <laughs> Generally speaking, uh, I was certainly said that's important. Um, and there's, there's a bit of a, uh, maybe a misconception or a conception that, uh, muscle mass can lead to reduced mobility. So you see, for example, uh, bodybuilders who, who can barely itch their own nose because their biceps are too big. <laughs> um, so how, how does that, myth or misconception come about and is it true is there any evidence to support the fact that that is the case yes and no so not in the way that everybody thinks right so a lot of people just think that as a byproduct of training in the gym um, and the type of training that you do can or cannot lead to you essentially tightening up and, and potentially losing mobility um, over time. Now, 
that's that's going to be highly based on on your training and and how you train and and what kind of ranges that you're training in is probably going to be the most important thing. Um, funny enough, there there's a whole segment of bodybuilding that is actually massive on flexibility and the ability to have very mobile and flexible joints. Um, if you look at guys like Flex Wheeler, Tom Platts, um, even if you go as far as you know, um, Dante Trudell, who was big on, um, stretching and, and stretching even intraset and stuff. So I don't think you can categorize that type of training. I think like all things, it's, it's more of how you train and, and the kind of movements that you use. Now, with that being said, I think at the very, very, very end ranges where a joint has to maximally compress. Sure. I mean, if you're, if you're one of, like if you're a Mr. Olympia sort of competitor and you're already have like a, a high level of super you know physiological adaptations happening in terms of muscle mass, which is obviously abnormal, um, you know we're we're all aware that there's a, a high degree of chemistry going on in, in the, at that level and and people are just are unnaturally large. Um, That's a very decent so, way of putting it, by know, the way. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I mean. To a degree, but again, to the to the to the average individual, and I'd say to like ninety nine percent of people, absolutely not. It's 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 definitely a myth, and there are plenty of examples of very big and strong athletes who are quite flexible. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say myth busted. You know, I don't, I just think it's how you train. And then that leads us very nicely on to how should you then train because. Um, yeah, where, where is the happy medium between uh, resistance training and mobility training? Is, is there a best of both? Yeah, I, I think there is. I mean, all, all strength training can technically be considered mobility training. You know, um, it, again, it all just comes down to what range of motion are you training in? Are you fully utilizing, you know, the full ex- excursion of joint range of motion? You know, and and there are objective sort of measurements that we can use, like your shoulder should have X amount of, you know, flexion, like when you take your arms overhead, um, you know, your hips should have X amount of degrees of rotation. So we have objective measurements of of flexibility in the body, which is, is all flexibility is. It's It's just the measurement of range of motion in a joint. And so, you know, can we achieve these things through resistance training? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely, we can. Now, I'm a big proponent of, on on stretching as well, uh, potentially for for a lot of people. But um, again, you know, simple things like are you locking out your elbow, you know, when you do certain movements? Are you squatting all the way down when you bench press? Are you bringing the bar all the way to your chest? So it, it's really about your intention of moving through full range of motion at the end of the day. So to me, resistance training is a hundred percent mobility training. Uh, when it's done properly. Now, does that mean that you always have to train full range of motion? Cause that's like the next, that's the big question that everybody kind of argues about. And the answer to that is no, you just have to, you have to sort of, you just have to train that range of motion at some point and keep it in your training over the, the long term. at some point. It's not to say there's no room for, for partials or anything like that, but you know, over time, and, and if, if you walk into any commercial gym, like a lot of training that people are doing is already essentially partial rep training all the time. <laughs> people aren't really 
you know, navigating and exploring the full range of motion of their joints, whether it be because they were told it's bad for them or whether they simply don't have the flexibility to do it. Um, and they just kind of train within their comfort zone. And, and a lot of people don't know how to improve it. And so, you know, and you can't just throw weight onto a, onto a movement and then go into your, a lot of times into your deepest range, especially if you're, if you're trying to improve it. So, um, you know, yeah, short, long answer. There's definitely a longer answer, but short answer is resistance training is mobility training. Granted, it's done and coached correctly. And what about things like, um, stretching with extra resistance? Is there, is there room for that or is there more of an advanced kind of technique? Uh, I, you know, again, strength training kind of is that. Now, the thing that people need to understand is that, you know, we have certain, we have certain, inhibitory reflexes in our body that will that are neurologically ingrained to keep us from exceeding certain ranges of motion that our body or our brain may not necessarily deem as safe right so you know to to try to kind of summarize this as fast as i can is you have you know autogenic inhibition which basically is a reflex that um tells a muscle to relax when it experiences stretch or tension. Um, and that reflex is sort of kicked in when it senses change in, in muscle tension. Um, and it also responds to low velocity and it's, it's main role is actually to inhibit the stretch reflex. And, and everyone knows what the stretch reflex is. And, but the stretch reflex is, is essentially a reciprocal inhibition, which it's that kind of kicks in when the nervous system experiences a certain amount of stretch as well as a speed of stretch. So essentially like a really high velocity movement is going to cause your body to contract, to protect the joint. Um, so what that means essentially is if you're doing, let's just say general tempo or regular tempo sort of exercises, and your goal is into is your goal is to improve the range of motion. There's certain mechanisms that exist that at a certain velocity and with certain amounts of force or tension, the body is going to restrict further range of motion. So we can manipulate tempos and pauses and things like that in in mobility or strength training to sort of improve that facet, like in, in terms of improving flexibility or mobility, or in my opinion, the, the easier way and the more rapid way um, without taking too much away from your strength training is is through stretching. Um, so, you know, for me, there's a time and place for both. I, I'm not like a, this is a no, it, you know, it obviously comes down to client demand and time constraints and things like this. And as a coach, that's your job to think with those things and understand what the client has available and, and needs to them. But there, there are limitations and pros and cons to each one. So efficiently mixing the two of them together is always going to give the best results. I think it'll be nice to touch on that one a little bit later when we're going to go into some more practical stuff. Um, but I wanted to touch very briefly then on, on stretching. Um, obviously dynamic and static of, uh, got their places and, uh, yeah. yeah, you can, you can program those as and when, um, in terms of, Static stretching. How much of a place does that have in your programs? It's it's the it's the base of the pyramid. 
So if somebody is coming to me and they want to improve flexibility and I, and I have determined that there is a significant deficit in flexibility, then static passive stretching is going to have the number one place because it is, you know, as passive static is obviously very low velocity and low force. Therefore, your ability to override these sort of inhibitory reflexes is a lot easier and you can sustain the time under tension for a lot longer, right? So that in and of itself is, is kind of an issue. Like a lot of people, when they come and stretch to me, they're like, oh, yeah, I stretch. You know, I stretch for 15, 20 seconds. I'm like, that's not stretching. Like stretching is two minutes, three minutes, sometimes five minutes, sometimes in a position if you really want to make changes um, for a lot of reasons. But it's it's kind of funny, right? Because if you flip it on strength, on, on strength and conditioning and somebody wants to get better at squatting and they come in and they do, you know, three reps versus doing you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 reps, like there's obviously a, a massive difference. So, you know, frequency and volume and time under tension, all of these things matter for flex as much as they matter for strength training, bodybuilding or, or whatever. It, it's, it, you know, it's, we have to think with the same rules. There's the rules are not necessarily different for improving flexibility in that capacity. So for me, it's, it's the absolute base. It's, it's, and that has the most carryover broadly into in sort of, you know, dynamic flexibility or, or whatever you want to call it. So absolutely excellent. And when we're looking at then an, an athlete or a, a person who's then uh, getting a little bit older, uh, generally speaking, and I include myself in this, um, at one point I was very mobile and I could do loads of cool stuff. Um, now I'm less mobile <laughs> and I can do less cool stuff. Um when when an athlete is getting older, how do you make sure that they can maintain their mobility, potentially from age uh, 16 to 18, whatever, maintain that throughout their, their career and throughout their lifetime? Just consistency. Um, what I found is there's a certain window that you have to give yourself to, you know, sort of, I guess, achieve your your kind of genetic maximal potential of flexibility um and once you have achieved it if your if your training is is programmed and structured well you're going to use most of it a lot so you know we're, we're talking about basic ranges of motion here you know what i mean um we're not talking about high level flexibility stuff or what would be considered high level flexibility stuff like splits and backbends and stuff, but we're talking about basic necessities that most athletes are going to need to be able to do like squat down, reach their arms overhead, things like this. I mean, it doesn't take that long to accomplish those things. And so again, a lot of it just comes down to the exposure of training and the, the priority of training and, and sort of how you structure it. Um, and just in general, as you, you get older and, you know, you, you become an adult, you know, you, you're just moving less, to be honest with you. Just like as simple, as simple as you could put it, you're just moving a lot less than kids are moving. You're doing, you're doing a lot less exploration of movement based on, you know, your environment and, and things like this. So a lot of it is just one, it's a mindset shift because a lot of people think that flexibility is a quality that can only be developed within a certain age limit or only if you're a girl or whatever, there's all these, these sort of preconceived notions that people have around developing it. Um, but, but that's just not true. 
you know, I, I've transformed people's flexibility in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, you can build flexibility until you die, you know, the same way you can with strength and endurance and all these other physiological properties. It's, it's no different. It's, you should treat it exactly the same way. So, you know, the, it gets worse simply because people don't prioritize it and focus on it. Yeah. I think it's about as simple as that. I, I feel accused, but you're correct. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're uh, you're not wrong. Um, and in terms of putting this all together, then um, I'd be really interested to hear how you you program these things with some kind of uh, case study or some practical examples. So, if you were to take someone who's let's say um, let's say eighteen to to twenty years old, they they're interested in sport. They want to make sure that they are strong and flexible. How would their their programming look from you? Ooh, that's a good question because it's 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 obviously uh, by case basis, but I'll I'll give like a very general sort of outline, um, and, and this may even sort of debunk a bit of the the myths that people will hear. So, if there are certain movements or positions that I need, and you know, and I, for the most part, I have to speak within the weight room, right? Because that's what I do. So, if there's certain positions and ranges of motion that I have deemed an athlete doesn't have. And I want them to, to kind of preface this, by the way, too, th- there's no such thing as enough for me, unless an, unless a human has as much range of motion potential as they should. Right. Because when I look at athletes, I look at them as humans first and athletes second. And like I said earlier, there are just simply certain joint ranges of motion that a body should have. Your shoulders should be able to do X. Your hips should be able to do X. Your spine should be able to do X. And if it cannot do those things, the lowest hanging fruit for a lot of athletes is getting those joints to be able to do those things. So that's kind of step number one for me. I, I, you know, take the athlete or the client. I do some sort of assessment in terms of range of motion um, and just to kind of see what they have. And then from there, I determine, you know, is this something that can be fixed um, with some stretching or just some strength training or both? But if I were to structure a workout, what I would do is I would have a client. Let's say there's there are like some pretty severe flexibility deficits that I want to try to um, capture. I would do static passive stretching first. That would be the first thing that I do because it's going to give me enough time under tension and focus that I can make very fast, acute changes to the joint range of motion, which I can now utilize in my training. So from there, what I will do is I will then go into some sort of dynamic warm-up. And this is the funny part about flexibility because a lot of strength conditioning coaches will reference one study that shows that, oh, if you static stretch before, you know, performance, there is like a like a point. 2% uh, decrease in force output or whatever. But then there's a bunch of other studies that suggest that if, as long as you follow static stretching with some sort of dynamic stretching or dynamic warmup, it mitigates any potential negative effects that the static stretching may have. And I don't know about you, but when I train athletes either in the gym or in the field, they always warm up. <laughs> like, like they always have some sort of dynamic warmup that they do. Right. So static stretching first, some sort of dynamic warm up slash stretching comes second. And then we get into 
the warm up for the movements or whatever it is that um, that we're, we have planned for that session. Now, if I find that somebody can't access a certain range of motion, for instance, if, if I find that somebody can't press overhead right now, like they don't have enough shoulder flexion, I'm not going to give them overhead presses. I'm probably going to give them incline presses until we can establish the range of motion that we need for overhead presses before we actually try to train that in the gym, right? So chances are if I can't get somebody there from a passive static perspective, then it's going to be very difficult to get them once you put resistance in their hand and, and sort of achieve that range of motion. Now, again, there's, you know, there's some nuance there because of, uh, you know, there's different things that can occur in an open chain and in a closed chain movement where people can access certain ranges in a closed chain because now there you have the, the, you know, the factor of torque in the situation. But, um, generally speaking, those, it's just, that's kind of how I would structure it. So static stretching, if I feel it's necessary, then a dynamic warm up, and then you get into your, your training, which, you know, obviously most people, hopefully, uh, that in and of itself, you have some warm up sets where you kind of groove into the movement before you start your working, your working sets training. And then of course, like for athletes on the field, same situation, um, static stretching, then your dynamic warm up, and then you play your game or, or whatever. So it's really simple. Um, if I'm looking at clients that maybe have time constraints, like really severe time constraints, which a lot of working professionals and stuff can, can sometimes have, um, intraset stretching is very good. So like actually implementing flexibility and stretching in between your sets. So instead of just resting and sitting there on your phone or, you know, staring at the ceiling or whatever, stretching a lot of times like antagonist muscle groups, um, can be very helpful for and, and time time efficient for a lot of clients. So an example I would give is if I have somebody doing some sort of hip hinge, like a deadlift or RDL, it can actually be very beneficial, a very beneficial time to stretch things like your quadriceps and your hip flexors and things like that, because stretching those aren't going to have a negative effect on the movement itself. And in a lot of cases can actually make the quality of what I'm trying to get them to do better. Because, you know, if you understand biomechanics and stuff, obviously the hip flexor and, and tight quads can inhibit your ability to access your, your glutes and your hips, right? So those are probably the, the most popular way that I do it. Um, another way you could do it is, is, especially if a person has enough mobility for what you want them to do, you have them do a session and then they do a separate flexibility session either after or, um, you know, on their rest days or days off or after cardio. I mean, honestly, the application is unlimited, I just think people need to do more of it. <laughs> and are there any little tips and tricks you've got for, for fitting this around your daily life? Because um, obviously between your sets is a, is a great example, but they might only be in the gym for an hour. So how could you go about improving your, uh, your time and attention and flexibility just in a, in a general life situation? Uh, honestly, you know, and this is purely just based on my clientele and my audience. What I tell people is if you have enough time to sit around and watch Netflix or play video games or whatever, you have enough time to stretch. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're going to go home and, and sit on the couch and watch TV for an hour, an hour or two, like you have plenty of time to stretch. You can stretch while you watch TV. Um, you know, so for for adults and older population that where they're going to sort of use time constraints as an excuse, um, I could probably pick holes in that theory for a lot of people all day long. Um, 
and for a lot of young athletes that are have a lot of extra time and stuff like that to work on their skills and work on their sports and, and you know, and their, the development of sports and things like that. I honestly just don't see, you know, I'm talking like as little as 15, 20, 30 minutes um, up to one hour sessions. You can do anything in between. Again, it just kind of really depends on how much do we need, you know, how immobile is the individual. Um, there's a lot of factors, but you know, like I said, if time's a serious, like a serious, serious constraint for you, interest set is good. Making sure that your strength training does include a lot of full range of motion movements if mobility is your goal. I think at the end of the day, you have to be honest and realistic with yourself. What are your priorities? And your priorities are always going to, and, and just be honest about it. I'm not here to tell you what your priorities should be, but I'm, I'm telling people if they come to me and they're like, hey man, like, I really need to improve my mobility or flexibility or whatever, then we need to prioritize that over everything else. And then once you handle it, you can reprioritize later when it's, you know, once you've gotten what you need and that kind of thing. So I think that's one of the kind of the unspoken points that's sort of important for a lot of us is, is to make sure that our goals align and that our priorities align with what we're trying to accomplish. Because oftentimes I have clients who come in and they will have, very different goals that don't align very well. And you kind of have to get them to focus and narrow down and understand that why time is finite. We have a lot more of it than we think, and we can accomplish a lot more than we think. And with the time that we have, you know, so, um, you know, the old, what's the quote, like people overestimate what they can do in a day, but they underestimate what they can do in a year. And I think that holds true. So consistency and prioritization of, mobility training via stretching or simply finding a coach or obtaining the knowledge to structure your training programs around improving mobility and flexibility should be the number one step if time is of the essence, so to speak. So, uh, Absolutely excellent. And uh, I think that's, uh, speaking of time, that's about it. I've, uh, I've stolen a bit of your day already. So uh, Jeffrey, massive thanks for your time today. It's been a pleasure talking and uh, I look forward to hopefully doing it again soon. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for coming, buddy. Cheers. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Jeff for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to take your learning up a level, all you have to do is get in there completely for free in just a few seconds' time. So click that link in the show notes. You can get there for free. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be great if you could recommend the podcast to a friend, a colleague, an athlete, or even maybe a family member. That means that we can keep spreading the great word of the podcast, and of course, that we can bring you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.